put down your paintbrush, it's time for Hobby Support Group. Afternoon, Andy. Oh, sorry, Tom. I was just taking a big sip of my cup of Earl Grey tea. Oh, I'm on a lifted lemon tea today. Oh, we are wild. Oh, I'm slightly more sophisticated than you because I have my Earl Grey here. Oh, what have you been up to, Tom? What's been happening? Uh, been cracking on with the War of the Roses stuff, mostly, with a uh, little diversion into 10mm stuff. Oh, I hope you're going to tell us a bit more about that later on. Yep. What about yourself? Tom, I kind of lost my painting mojo. I did a lot of painting. I kind of lost it a bit, which... So I just focused on building. I just focused on building, building, building stuff. And then at the last minute, just before we were due to record, I managed to complete a couple of projects. So that's quite good. Um, But yeah, just focusing on building. And I got a couple of things painted and... Uh, looking at some future projects as well, but we know about my space goats, but we'll talk about that later on as well. I've got so much to talk about, Tom. I don't know where to start. Well, I think today's uh, main topic is going to be sort of talking and looking at building and painting, or sort of Ooh. actually like purchasing, building, and painting an army, isn't it, as part yeah. of our project series? So yeah, that will fit quite nicely, I think. Yes. So why do you tell me more about your War of the Roses, Tom? So uh, I've been cracking on with the War of the Roses, painting it. And as I've, I'm sure I've sort of talked about in the podcast before, I've decided while I'm painting it, I'm building, I'm painting the whole collection, um, like the, the army, to do two things. To be a single army to play, never mind the Bill Hooks with, but also to be two armies to play Lion Rampant with. Mm-hmm. So that means I need eight-man cavalry units for... Never mind the bill hooks, six man units for line rampant. Yeah. So it's like, so how do I do a livery for an eight man unit when two of them have got to be in a different unit? Uh, and that sort of a thing. Um, some creative thinking has has got me there. So uh, sort of generally, there's six of them are in a solid livery, two of them are in sort of I, especially the cavalry are in bear armor, so yeah, they, they haven't got tabards or anything on. Um, and I've done the same for the foot units, because the foot units are in twelve. Um, but I sort of want, well, I need, I wanted them to be similar enough looking that they can fit in one army, but when they're splitting two, they look like two different armies. Yeah, if you go for like a neutral color, like metals or browns, then you can use those spare ones, the sort of floating ones, to to move between units can't you i guess yeah well the color scheme i've selected for them is i did do some research on liveries and i also looked into quite a few flags and then i realized i'd got a bag of war of the roses and sort of era flags and so the units are painted up with the flags that i've got nice did you get some flags with the, with the did they come with the perry models did they, come they with came the with the perry they came with the perry each unit comes with a sheet of flags yeah that's really Um, good and so i've been able to have like enough black and red flags to do several different units in black and red and Mm -hmm. like some of them are right uh black on the right side red on the left some of them flip around 
right. and that sort of thing. So it's like a lot of black and reds, some solid reds, and the rest is white and blue. Um, so I did see... Is that a particular person, that black and uh, red? Yeah, that? there are several different people who have black and red liveries, and there's a couple who have white and blue. Um, yeah. But I figured I wasn't going to get too... Because this isn't a game that I'm going to be playing week in, week out, I didn't want to get too stuck into just making it. This is specifically what was here. This is, you know, Warwick's entire retinue sort of thing. So it's more an illusion. So anybody who knows the period really well will probably be like a gas that, you know, I've got like Earl Dar- the Earl of Derby <laughs> showing up at Harrison. And um, just on our tour here, the War of the Roses, so <laughs> pop into this gaming club for no particular reason. These seven eminent War of the Roses historians, and they're like all grasping their handbags. <gasps> this is in shock and horror. I, th- I think it's like the, the models are right. The pe- they're painted in like period colours, if not necessarily right. And so I think they, they should look decent. They're more challenging to paint than I thought I would. You would think a guy in plate armour would be simple to paint. But there's sort of, when you realise, oh, well, there's gaps in the armour, you know, you can see a bit of legging, a lot of straps and that sort of thing. So I got a little oh. bit... Yeah, I know most of the models, like 90% of the work um, takes about 10% of the paint time. And it's those last things like the buckles and the straps and the studs. And, oh, there's a sock here. Oh, and what... Oh, is that a hand? Is that a hand? Is it a hand wearing a glove, or has he got a bangle on his wrist? Wait, is that the end of a? We're trying to work out. Can I see nails? Is it? A, is it a bangle or a glove? I'm not sure. Yeah, that kind of thing. It's like just picking out the little bits. Yeah, and like looking at the guys in the plate armor and going, "Are they shoes? Are they booties? Or are they like part of the armor? What? Are, what are they?" And he's sort of, I found after I'd painted three units of the three units of them, I was a little bit bummed out on painting i decided to play bolt action career in mm-hmm. 10 mil mm-hmm. and so i bought a couple of 10 mil armies for it last year so i got those based up built and they're now ready for sort of sand on the bases and priming and uh, i got the army bait the army lists written up for that so that's two there's two armies that are each 2200 points which is like a huge bolt action army, but my theory is because they're on ten mil, they're they're ten mil, so they're on each unit is just two bases. Yeah, it, it should play quite a bit quicker, and also yeah. because it's ten mil, I've not used any of the I've used the force selectors from the book, but ignored some of the limitations. So, for example, like my the Chinese People's Volunteer Army have got two T-34s and they're also like they, they're joined by a small North Korean contingent of a Katusha yeah. and a I-76 I think so it's you know that they and you know that the British have got a Centurion and a few US Marines with some machine guns and, oh, yeah. and this sort of stuff so it's it's, it's I think each army is about 20 dice. So right. they're big, but a tank dice doesn't take very long to play. Um, well, I've got some, um, I've got some 10 mil, I've got some Americans and some, some Germans. So, you know, if you ever need to have a, well, you know, 
I'm not sure how many um, how many Koreans fought the World War II Germans. And no one did. Oh yes, you're right. The guy from, from Korea. There's yes, the one from the Anthony Beaver book at the beginning of the yeah, World the, War II. Yeah, you can say they're like one of the luckiest men of the war, or one of the unluckiest. I feel I have to tell. Before we have to tell the story now, we can't just drop that in. Tops. There was a a guy who was um, living in Korea and was captured by the Japanese, and then forced conscripted to go and fight against. Um, the Chinese, he was then captured, pressed into the communist army and ended up defending Stalingrad where he was captured by the Germans and has uh, ended up on, in D-Day and then he like surrendered to the Americans and he actually finally ends up living in America, I believe. Yeah, I think he yeah, is sort of but Korea via Manchuria. America is quite an incredible story. Um, not very nice though, obviously, for him to be put through that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's a bit of history for history for you folks. Uh, yeah, that sounds great, Tom. So you've got them all based up. When do you think you might get them finished? Uh, well, I'm hoping to get the war. Well, my aim to get the War of the Roses done is for uh, really a couple of weeks' time because I want them done for the end of the month. Yeah, um, I, I'm well on with that. I've got three units left to do, mm-hmm. and I can. On a good day's painting, paint a unit a day. Yeah. So I hope to get them painted in the next week, and then that gives me a week to base them all up. Yeah. And then I will probably then do this. Um, probably do the Chinese first of these ten milamas. I'm not sure if I'll paint them both at the same time. I'll do the Chinese first. I think I've. Uh, yeah. We'll chat I, about some paint. I've bought paint paint one. Paint. Just do. Then you're just doing the same colours, aren't you? Just do one army and then oh, different shade of green. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there's to be honest, um I'll chat about the colours a bit more in the paint I bought, but there's like five paints between both armies. Right. And like the uniform colour of one the uniform colour of the Chinese is literally the colour of the British webbing. Right. <laughs> so it is light greens and browns right all okay. round um and i'm going to try them out with some contrast paints i would i would say at this point i haven't seen i would maybe paint one like one korean army and then a unit and then paint a british unit and then put them together and just see how different they look because that might be something if they look identical to the naked eye even though there's subtle differences in the greens and it's just my red cut, red green colour blindness coming, and I'd put the two down and go like, ah, they both look pretty much the same. You might want to have a think about how you're going to differentiate them with the basing, maybe. Yeah, I will work something out. That is a good idea, actually. I'll paint the... I might paint the British first, then, because they probably have a more uniform colour than so people's fonts here on. Do the other unit and just, just have a look at them together. And maybe... You might go like, actually, they look completely different. So they can tell them straight away. But I'm also planning on uh, magnetizing the bases of these. Oh, so um, because I like my my six mil army, my six and ten mil armies, I like to keep in recycled keyboard packing cases. Yeah, another ones. And yet these are. If I magnetize these, I can pro- probably keep both armies in one box. Um. Because I can fit them on the lid. Ah, um, yeah. And then it would make, like, taking them... Because I, I obviously will always have to transport them both. 
to play with down the club and that sort of thing. It will just make transport of them easier. A lot easier, yeah. And take up less room. Yeah, or you like and, that. And if that works, then it's something I can definitely look into in the future for all my 6 mil stuff. Okay. My 10 mil in a really useful box from the long, thin ones. Yeah. Um, but if you were transporting them in that, they would rattle around. Well, um, my... My other thought is maybe to put them in a, what would be a more secure storage solution would be to put them in a really useful box, but to put them still to magnetize them to the bottom one layer and then put some little supports in the box so I can then just put a second layer. Yeah, I've been thinking about doing that as well, Tom, but I haven't kind of worked out how I would do that yet. But um, I mean, it's not like I've got lots of free time to think about these things. No, you know? I would imagine if, if you're just like glued in some supports in the mm. bottom of the box so and then put like a, a sheet of thin MDF on the top so it can't collapse. Then you go admittedly you're gonna have to take out the entire top tray to get to the bottom tray. Yeah. But I don't think that would be a problem. And then you'd also then have a little tray that you could use as like your dead pile. Yeah. When you're playing. So I know people have used um uh, whiteboards that you put magnets on. So you put a magnet, you can then use the whiteboard as a base. To, so if you go into a tournament or something, you just carry them around on your on your whiteboard and then they're stuck on. So you can literally turn them upside down and they won't fall off. It's, you know. Well, my um, English Civil War Army, they're all based and they're all based on magnets because the pikemen and the cavalry with flags and stuff have to go on their side because mm-hmm. they're too high to fit in a really useful box. Yeah. So they I like magnetize. I put some magnetic stuff on the sides of the really useful boxes, and and they they're fine, and they travel well like that. So I think actually, scratch what I said about keeping this career stuff in the keyboard box. I'll put it in a really useful box with two yeah. layers. Two layers. Cool. Well, I look forward to seeing that. Sounds good. So just talking about storage a little bit, and it's not necessarily what I've been doing, but it's a thought I've had. As I've been finishing off this War of the Roses army, and it's now, now as units, when I paint a unit, um, I also like get paint its movement tray at the Mm -hmm. same time. So it's already spaced, so they're all sitting in the tray. And I've realized that they're taking up a tray and three quarters in a really useful box. And I'm sort of pondering do i get an extra cannon to fit in that space or do i just do i just leave the space and it's it's an annoying quandary to say is it just i don't necessarily need more stuff but do i just buy something to fill in the space in a box sounds to me like you're trying to find an excuse to buy a cannon yes do i want a cannon or a bombard (laughs) i say if you want one get one i mean you're not it's not going to break the bank getting a, either one of those two. No, it's. I will. I would wait. Wait till you finish a few of your projects. As as a reward, say say to yourself, and this may get to the motivation and a thing later on, but just say to yourself, right, if I complete a project a month for three months, I have earned the right to go and treat myself to a bombard or a cannon. Well, I, I was thinking more. Of, I'm going to wait till I've played some games. Yeah. And if I played some games with like thirty point retinues for line rampant, I thought actually this would be more fun if we were playing like fifty point retinues. Then that's where I can get something like a bombard. 
yeah. a bit more fun. But because at the minute, when it's finished, it will be fully playable. Nice. And I want to get everything I've got. I want to get playable, really, more than having some things in sort of quotes finished and not having things still necessarily playable. So, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is a useful point of the podcast. I will, us all couldn't decide if I wanted to kind of not talking to you about it. Now I realize I don't want one. Hooray! Yeah. So, you said you lost your painting mojo after painting oh. hundreds of minis this year so far. So. Yeah. I, yeah, um, I just I just didn't want to pick up a paintbrush. I was just like, I'll pick up a penguin. Uh, I always want to pick up a penguin. Who am I kidding? Um, I just didn't want to pick up my paintbrush because I was just like, just done with it for a bit. And so I channeled that energy somewhere else. And so I started building things. Um, so I built um, a Panzer IV or D. Yeah, so it was good fun for my DAC. Um, man, those Rubicon kits are good. Are you just finally? Brought, oh. You finally jumped into the Rubicon? That's kind of goodness. a Rubicon kits, and then I started building. I'm like, the pleasure of how nice it just all fits together. It's not so much not you make it fit together; it wants to fit together. It's designed to fit together. It fits together so nicely. I get pleasure as the two bits slide together and just fit up. Ah, oh, so nice. You've really enjoyed your first foray into Rubicon kits. Oh my, Tom! Like I've been scared of them, and then you realise it's really great. I've got some. SDKFZA250s to build. Try saying that after a cup of Earl Grey tea. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of the mini Hannah Mags to make, and I'm going to put Rommel in one. I'm going to make the Griff for Rommel to be driving around in uh, for my DAC. Um, I haven't built those yet, though. I've got the command box to convert one into a, a command vehicle for an HQ unit, but no, I haven't built those yet, so we should be talking about it. So I built the Rubicon Panzer IV. I then built um, a Black Hawk team and a uh, Necromantic team, and then went for all my, um, went for the Orcs that I received, the Lord of the Ring Orcs that I'm going to be using for War of the Roses. Boo. <laughs> um, so I built those up, the other sprues I got. Uh, I finally... Now, this is the, the juxtaposition of the dark side to the Rubicon tanks on one side, a pleasure to build. I also built a, um American anti-tank gun mm. artillery piece, which did not go together well. And the instructions, <laughs> you're trying to look at the pictures on Warlord of how to put together this metal model. And they'll show you the front from like one angle where people, with the models in the way. So you can't see where it joins up. So you turn, look at the other side of the model, and they still can't see. And then that's it. You only, only have the two pictures of this model, and you're like, how does this go together? I, I'm sure it has to be like an industry conspiracy that no company can make metal artillery that A, fits together easily and well, B, put out instructions on how to actually build it, or C, even give you a, a usable picture of the thing yeah. built. Every howitzer and anti-tank gun I have built has ended up being built with me sat there at my table on my phone looking for pictures of the original, oh, looking for a real thing, going, what is this squiggly thing? What is, how does this go? It's a random metal that has like tubes and pipes and things. It's just like, 
where does this go on this because you can't see from the pictures where it goes and like even like a clue on like which way up the gun shield goes sometimes would be a useful clue (laughs) so um yeah because i yeah so i built i built that i finally got it built i need to get undercoated and sprayed and stuff and it won't take me very long once i do that but my gosh that was i've been putting i've been putting off putting it together because i knew it would be horrible uh, a tip I have found for building them is the super glue activator. Yeah. Helps it a million times. Because you, you kind of build it two or three times when you put it together because you go, that's it, I got it there. And then you take your hands away and it just falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> or, your, or your fingers are stuck. And of course, the tap, the gun isn't. You're like, why are my fingers stuck to this thing? Um. And finally, I also built um, nine Polish uh, lancers for my World War Two Polish. I must be the only person who's got a Polish army for World War Two and didn't have any lancers. So I'm like, right, I'll get those done. So they've been built up, and hopefully, I'll get those undercated. Undercated. <laughs> they haven't enough food. They are undercated. <laughs> the catering here is terrible. Uh, uncoated, I should say, because um, that'll be fun to get painted up as well. So I can start charging at you with lances. I charge your tanks, Tom, with my lances because that's what you do. Uh, if if, I, if I've got the propaganda cameras out to then sort of spread vicious lies, I have got a German cameraman I can lend you. I've got some as well. <laughs> so they make good objective markers. Yeah. Um, so, but um, so that's what I, that's what I built. As I said, I was a bit like oh, I don't want to get painting. But from somewhere, I felt I didn't want to come on this show and be like, I didn't paint anything. So I I painted some American weapons teams. So I painted a heavy mortar, two light machine guns and um, a heavy machine gun. Not light machine guns, medium machine guns and heavy machine guns. Because obviously Americans, they can have three uh, medium machine gun teams, which is three more than you need. Uh, so I've got those done. Just in case I ever need them, I'm, I'm planning to try running them and just see if if I have, you know, four, three medium machine gun teams and a heavy machine gun team, will they actually be any good? And I suspect not. You never know. Depends how many snipers are on the opposing table. Well, traditionally, obviously, if you have snipers, the snipers fire each other for four rounds missing. Yeah. Until one, polite, politely rolling ones to, to wound. I've missed you. Oh, oh good. Thank you. And, and I've hit you, but... I I I failed to wound you. Marvelous. Okay, we'll move on. Um, so I did those, and I painted up the artillery crew for that artillery weapon that I haven't yet painted up. I sent. So that, that those those guys are done. So when I get that tank, anti-tank gun, that pack, whatever it is done, it will be um, ready to go, which would be nice. That'd be all my. Oh, and I've actually got a priest to do as well. <laughs> so say all my American models will be fine. Like, oh no, actually, I've got a tank. Um, and then I um, I painted my, one of my Blood Bowl teams as well, um, which I think turned out really well. I painted up my um, Auckland Raiders. It was Auckland. So black and yellow. So it's um, six Black Orcs, six Goblin Bruisers. Um, I've also got Varag, Goldshewer, and a Troll. And these, I did very well to get these, Tom. I'm going to a little bit of a humble brag here uh it was just after christmas like everyone had got copies of the new blood bowl and that was a great deal you got two teams you got two star players you got two large monsters pitch rule book and everyone wants to well, get that 
and I'll sell off the bits I don't want. But I think there must have been a glut in the market because you could get some really good deals. Um, so I think I spent about £20 picking up, you know, the team, Troll, and the star player. And I mean, that's I think that's a pretty good deal. It's I think that's, that's something that I think is always, especially with when GW bring out a new set or a new kit, mm-hmm. it's always something to have a, a look at because I can remember when I was playing 40k the I forget which version I think it might have been the Dark Vengeance set came yeah. out with, with some Ravenwing bikers and some other stuff and like overnight you could get like a sprue of three bikes with riders for a few quid like you know there were there were, there were like a pound a bike yeah because it will come out, will come out, and there'll be a spike as it goes up, and 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 as people want to buy, like, oh, I need to get this. I really want this model, and then the prices come down because everyone who wants it has got it, and there's more. And the people who want to sell it, and they put it on like um, you know bids rather than buy now. I like watching, and everyone's going, "Well, I kind of guess I'd pay a five before it, maybe." Um, and then of course it goes back up again in price once the market is, you know. All those cheap ones are being soaked up by the people who want to buy them for cheap. Especially if it's a set which has got like a two set players, a two set. Like yeah. if you've got two teams and one of the teams is more popular than the other one. Yeah. Or like if it's again like a 40k army, like one is new models, one is older models or a more popular army. Yeah. If you've got like Space Wolves versus, if you've got like Marines versus Dark Eldar. Mm-hmm. And you've got some brand new shiny Space Marine thing in there. You're probably going to see a lot of cheaper Dark Eldar. Well, that Pariah Nexus is the, is the heavy weapon. Inter- and correct me if I'm wrong here, wrong here, 40k, but I don't know. Heavy weapon intercessors. It's the first time you can get them. They're in the Codex. You can't get them. The first time you can get them is in the Pariah Nexus box. So they're the one everyone's going to want. So people are going to buy them and then try and sell off the the flayed ones. And the, and the everyone needs a Primaris Lieutenant um, and the Cryptek off to sort of make their money back. So. Actually, maybe, maybe I guess you're going to have a look at that after I finish talking to you, Tom, because apparently I'm, apparently I'm just buying stuff now. That's spoilers for the future. But um, so I used contrast paint. I think, t- I think they turned out really well. I, took, I want to take a bit of time on these models because it's not like an army. It's, what, 14 models? Um, I thought I'd take my time. So I used contrast paint to get the so yellow and black. And I, find that, I just find the best way to paint yellow is to use contrast. It turns out better than every time I've just tried to paint yellow using layers of different color and yellow and so on it's never turned out as nice as just using contrast paint so i use nasdrag yellow and black templar um i find that like it, you get a good contrast because contrast paint but the saturation of the colors can be a bit weak so for example the, the flesh i used camo green uh creed camo but then i went over with a a, a dark like a black green vallejo ink to give it more rich, just in the shadows, I've painted that to give it a bit more rich, a bit more colour to the uh, to it. Um, and the same with the yellow, I use the Vallejo sepia to go into the darker recesses to give it a bit more shadow there. Because um, I can find it, it kind of like a bubblegum washed out kind of effect sometimes with the contrast. So did that, and then I even when I got some varnish because I, I undercut I, I i don't use um varnish normally i normally use um hairspray as a varnish which is a, a, an old habit i have um 
So you spray it on a thick layer of the hairspray, and you can because then you can spray it in your house. And what not? I'm sure breathing hairspray is probably only fractionally better than breathing in varnish in your house. But you know, it's sort of water soluble, and it, it, I think it's a bit better than spraying varnish around in my house. Um, but it leaves it a bit shiny. So I went through and I, I applied some gloss varnish to the shoulder pads to make them. Sh I wanted it like shiny American football style, you know, that that shininess. And then over the cloth, I painted and the flesh. I used a matte varnish to bring it down to try and get a contrast and shines as well. Um, and then I used um, a Luke APS. I think it's like urban rubble or debris or something it's called. Like a grey because I thought it worked really well with the like an astro granite kind of look to it. So I did that on there as well. Um, yeah, but I think they turned out really well. I, I put a lot of effort in there. The troll isn't so great, but I don't really like the model, actually, the troll model. I think it, the pose is a bit weird. That's just, pers that, that's just personal taste. Um, but, yeah, I think they turned out really well. So I was really pleased with how they turned out, Tom. Well, I think they look really cool. Um, I think, especially since, you know, you painted them, it's something like a couple of days. But yeah. like, I think they look like you'd spent a couple of weeks on them. Oh, they, they look a cool army. I think, you know, saying like, oh, you've not painted, you thought you'd better get a wig on to get this thing painted, you know. A Blood Bowl team, like several infantry units, like infantry teams, I think it's, you know, still quite a lot to get painted in a fortnight. Oh, cheers, bud. Without the building. They just quickly may be chatting about contrast paints, because I, I have started using them for some things now. I've got, like, half a dozen, maybe a few more. Yeah. Um, sneak peek into what I've purchased. And I, I found, for some things... I found them brilliant, like specifically wanting like a red leather look. Mm -hmm. um, like I've tried oh, every different type of painting red leather that's available. And yet the, I think it's like Mephiston red or something. Yeah. If you put, if you paint it in like I paint, what I do is I now paint the leather in AK brown leather. Yeah. Then paint over the top of it. With the Mephiston red leather, it's so a, the, it's, Mephi the Mephiston red. I think it's Blood it, Angels red. Blood Angels red, whatever it is, yeah. and that gives a brilliant, like really dark red leather look. Um, mm. And like a few of the other, uh, I do really like the Black Templar contrast black. black. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good black. But but it, for most of the ones that I've used so far, I found them rather than a, a time saving device. I found them so. And I know it's part of the system of how they work. I've found them so dependent on what base coat that they're going on. Oh, yeah, totally. And and quite often, because like you might have like a, a light model, especially maybe, obviously, they're not really meant for painting historics, but you've got like something that's like, you know, a black and then a white, and, you know, you've got all sorts of different colours on the same model. You're having to sort of actually... You know, prime grey, but then base coat in different colours, and yeah. then use the contrast paints on top. I find unless it's giving like a really good, like an amazing effect, so like the paint does something that I can't do with other paint, it doesn't save any time at all, and actually can sometimes add extra steps. Where I think they come into their own is doing stuff really on a small scale, because then you're not trying to make it look brilliant you're going for that representation yeah and so i think you know like i the plan for these korean stuff is you know prime on white and then 
go. Well, I, I might prime them grey and do a bit of a zenith or highlight on them, and then start from there. Well, I did a zenith on my my orcs. I did a zenith. I think it really helps um, with the shadows because uh, some contrast. Made. I, uh, I should say I, did, I used the blue. I used the blue uh, ultramarines blue on the troll in my in my um, blood bowl team, and I have never been happy with how that. You, I have always had to do. Try, I, I, I deliberately said, well, I'm going to try and use Ultramarine's Blue on this model because it's never worked, and I'm going to give it a really good go on this troll. And it still didn't really work. <laughs> so um, like, I, 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 I find some of them seem to be really a glorified wash rather than a paint. But I, I don't know if... I know you look on the website, there's like a system of use this one followed by this one followed by this one mm-hmm. and if some of them are meant to be in effect washes but just the pigment like distribution in them, no matter if you've agitated in them, shook them for six minutes, yeah. whatever, it, it just seems to be, well the, this is uncontrollable it just looks wishy-washy and you, you never know, of course you never know if you just got a bad one as well because that can happen, you just get a one that's just a bit thinner for whatever reason there's always that slight variation, but um, yeah, I think that I think they're really good for doing small scale. I did my um, English Civil War in ten mil. I did uh, my Celts. I did my um, World War Two stuff as well. Some of the bits on there, and I found they work really well for small scales. So I think anything maybe fifteen mil down, it's it's about what, what I'll use now. And they look. I find they look a lot better when they're dry rather than when they're wet. I think it helps. Oh yeah, I think it helps to be a bit brighter as well at smaller scales to really make them sort of pop. Use that bad phrase, pop. Um, using stuff as the, the, the brighter the colour for smaller scales, the better. Because you know, just you just the physics of colour or something is makes it a bit dull. So you have to make. Well, it no, bit... I think that's. Good. I've been doing a little bit of research in preparation for painting the samurai mm-hmm. coming up, and they, the consensus for those seems to be like. You know, you want to be several shy shades brighter than in real life. You know, if in real life it's like a, a dark, deep red, you want almost like a really bright vermilion red because yeah. be, because of the scale reduction and that sort of thing, it will look different. And I, I know there is science and maths behind all this. All like, well, you know, there is, especially I think in like. World War Two camo patterns people have worked out. Well, how do you get this exact color of yellow? Yeah, at one forty-eight scale. When in, you know, real life, it's this shade. But how do you reproduce that at this scale? So it needs to be slightly different. And that's like not a wormhole I really want to go down. But yeah. if, saying, if I just want them to look good, yeah, of course, that's what we all want, isn't it? We all want our models to look nice. So I think we've sort of been a. Uh, dallying around with what we've bought this fortnight. So shall we jump into hobby purchases? Well, I should mention my, my copy of Ruse de Guerre turned up. Excellent customer service by Bacchus. They sent it out. It didn't turn up. I contacted them. Um, and, um, yeah, they sent me another copy and it arrived and it looks really interesting. It's I like the fact it's not too, it doesn't look like it's overly complicated. There's no army list, which, you know, the 40 key player is like, oh my gosh, what do I do? But it, it has so many scenarios in the back of famous battles from French Indian War, you know, uh, War of 1812, American uh, Revolutionary War, AWI, um, that 
I think if I just paint up the models for that, that's going to keep me so busy, you know. If I'm doing Battle of Trenton or something, you know, that's going to keep me busy enough. So I'm not too worried there. But it does look really good. Just just, just to mention them. Keeping with the six mil rules, I bought a Spearhead. Oh, yes, that looks really good. I, I bought a copy of Spearhead along with the Eastern Front campaign. Um, I think the Eastern Front campaign book is 26 different scenarios. Um, you have a plain divisional level World War II at 6 mil. Mm. Picked them both up uh, from Cavalier Books and they're 15 quid. Nice. Uh, I think not included postage. I have to admit, I enjoy playing World War Two. I like the history. Yeah. I, I like how it sets up a pretty, from a game point of view, it sets up a pretty clear and simple, generally, goodies versus baddies narrative to play a game. And I think from gaming, you know, I like gaming World War Two. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, I, I, if somebody said, hey, pick a period to game forever, you can't play anything else. I'd pick World War Two. Well, it gives you so much scope for so much, to, so many different places in the world and different scenarios. And I think, like my my other example of well, I can play the Battle of Kursk in twenty eight mil. Why do I do it in six mil? In reality, I can't play it in twenty eight mil. I can play like a couple of hundred meters of a multi mile, yeah, front. <laughs> Huge area, isn't it? That'd be ridiculous to even try in twenty-eight mil, unless you're going to hire out the your local school gymnasium. I think you'd still be struggling then, wouldn't you? Really, but that's the sort of thing you would, you would need like a hundred people event, wouldn't you? Each to bring yeah. your bolt action armies, and you could have like a small representation of it. Whereas I think doing it in six mil, again, you're only going to be able to have a representation of it, but you can have, you know, if each of these elephants represents four. You yeah. only need 10 of them, and then you've got the, all the elephants that were there. That yeah. sort of thing. Um, not sure how many elephants were there, but you know, it wasn't very many. Um, quite elephants were a type of tank. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Man, they got serious. They bought the war elephants. <laughs> Was Ferdinand the bull there? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but so that's um, my rules purchase for the month. And I, I also bought three contrast paints. For, as we were talking about doing contrast paints to do the Chinese because I realised I didn't have a really light green webbing colour and I was doing some looking online and somebody put up a guide for painting the Chinese using the contrast 28mm Chinese in contrast paints so I thought I'd give them a go yeah good idea yeah so um, yeah so sorry just to so that's there's for more. there's more. No, that's but that's for, for my hobby purchases for this month so far is twenty seven pounds for this episode. For this episode is twenty seven pounds, um, yes. and I've got a, a, a future purchase that I'm thinking of, which we'll chat about in a bit. Is that a bombard? <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, Tom, yeah, man. So. As you know, I was trying to get hold of Lord of the Rings orcs. And it turns out there's a key, a factor in them that I didn't realise was like a limiting factor. And that is orc archers. The old orc archers, you get you get 12, 12 models, but only two of them would be archers. 
And so everyone was after the arches. I was trying to bid on them on eBay and all the ones that had all the arches in were going for loads of money. And I hadn't quite got enough. And so I put a couple of bids on a couple of things in the hope that I would win them, like win one of them. And I made the great mistake of winning both of them. Ooh. So I, I won a lot of orcs for £26 and then another lot of orcs for £18, which is a lot of orcs. I haven't actually gone through that. They haven't arrived yet, but I will at some point tell you how I'll tell the dear sweet listeners um, how many orcs I have, because I've probably got too many orcs, if such a thing is possible. Too many orcs? Never. But um, I've got a few archers now, which is the main thing. That's the main thing. Um, I bought some necrons um, for my son. I bought some necron warriors, because we've got lots of scarab swarms. We've got lots of the interesting models, but none of the basic troops. So I, we've only got six basic troops. I bought some for him. <coughs> um, <laughs> Um, some Necron Warriors to put together. We'll paint those up uh, if anyone believes they're really for him out there. Um, and then for my Stargrave project, um, so I say Stargrave, I have um, a small like war band of um, fantasy beastmen that I use in Frostgrave. Yep. And there's one particular hero, he's got two axes. I think it's the best beast model, one of the best models they ever did. It's really simple. You're just holding two axes and looking really cool. And I managed to finally, because for ages I was trying to get hold of him, and he always seemed to go for like £18 or so. I'm like, that's just too rich in my blood. So eventually I did get hold of him my last episode. I finally got hold of a copy of him. And this is typical. As soon as I find one, what do I see on eBay? Another one. And I won it for £7, including postage, £7.40. So now I've got two of the same model, which means I can use one of them and paint them up for my fantasy, and one I can convert and use in Stargrave. So I'm, I can have one for the future and one for the past. Um, however, this new one I got was painted, was painted really nicely, so I feel a bit nasty <laughs> about This is actually really nicely painted, and I'm going to like strip it and... Um, convert it. I'm like, this doesn't seem right to me. It's such a nicely painted model. Maybe I can just do a couple of little bits here and there and convert him into, um, to be ready for um, the fantasy one rather than the sci-fi one and strip the other one off that isn't as well painted. But uh, Yeah, so um, a long and short of it, I spent £64 and 40 pence. Ouch. I guess. Is it an ouch or not? It is, especially as I said to you last episode. I've spent way too much, Tom. I'm not going to. Next time we speak, I'll have spent nothing. Although the majority, the orcs, the necrons, there's two the two orcs and the necrons. I'd already bid on when we spoke, so I couldn't. Un, I couldn't unbid. No. And then that beastman just came up, and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm already in for like fifty, fifty-seven pounds. <laughs> Or it's another seven quid for a beastman going to make any difference. Um, but I know I'm going to use him for my for a project, so yeah. Yeah. At least I'm painting things. That's yeah. the main These projects are getting done, so. Well, that, that is, you know, useful. And you, 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 they're not just going in a, a huge pile, are they, and being you know, stuck there for you never to use them again, so. They are. Well, they are actually just in a big pile in a box in my cupboard. <clears throat> my shame cupboard. 
Ah. But hopefully they will come out of there eventually. Well, let's hope so. Hopefully, hopefully I can get. I am trapped currently in my giant shame cupboard called lockdown. But hopefully, I'll be coming out soon. <laughs> So how many days since November the 27th, 2020? Friday, the 27th of November 2020 was 108 days ago. So it's been 108 days since I placed my order with Element Games and to the surprise of no one, I haven't heard anything from them yet regarding my order of um, Keyforge decks. But we'll keep, I'll keep you posted, Tom, if anything happens there. Good. Boo. <laughs> So you've got the Space Goats for Stargrave. Yeah. And I'm thinking of doing... I, I want the alien colonial marine models. Perfect. I, I, I want them... I might use them for Stargrave, but I want the models anyway. Yeah. And I quite like that there is two options to get them. And I, I think the company who's brought out the game, I think it's Gale Force 9. Yeah have realised that lots of people buy miniature board games just for the models. Yes, that's right. So you can buy the board game or you can just buy the models, which are in the board game. Which is genius, because I've looked at some board games and gone, oh, I really want those models, but I don't want to spend 120 quid in the board game. Yes. And it's like the, the board game is you can pick it up for about 40 quid yeah, or you can get the models for 18 yeah, um, and like you know, you can buy like the Alien Queen add-on, which gives you the Alien Queen Ripley with the flamer and no, and a broken Bishop model. Yeah, or I think forty quid, or you can buy the Alien Queen on her own for a tenner, and Ripley new and two bishops for another tenner. So it, it seems, and you can buy like an add-on pack of Alien Warrior. You can buy all the minis anyway. That, that, that they seem to me relatively well priced. For... Yeah, no, I looked at those models and I was like, those are not offensively priced. I I think they're, they're a fair price. But the problem with them is they come into sale, they come into stock, and then they immediately sell out again because I think everybody in the world probably wants those That's models. One, yeah, it's one of the most favourite films of all time, isn't it? Everyone loves that movie. So, and I'm got. So I'm in the conundrum of, do I buy them to chuck on a pile for six to eight months on the proviso that they could sell out and I don't know how many they've produced, if they're going to continue producing them? Mm-hmm. Or do I wait and just get them further down the line? And, hmm. like, I know you see, oh, well, a game's never going to just stop being made. But you never know. With... Oh, you never know. Yeah. Every game except 40k could, I think, is could stand a chance of being. Yeah, like how how many if they've done a print run of, you know, numbers off the top of my head, a hundred thousand boxes of each. Do they think is is it? Oh, we've sold all those, but is it worth doing another hundred thousand? Well, you know what, they've got the molds, haven't they? Um, and that's the most expensive part for a plastic model. If they, I think, if they can keep churning them out and people keep buying them. They're happy to do that. I can't see them turning away money. No. So, I'd say keep an eye on it. Yeah. I, I might, if I, if I find, I did, I, I missed out on it, 
but I saw somewhere was doing it a box for I think it was forty two pounds, mm-hmm. which had just all it had all the minis in the deal. So it yeah. was like the Alien Queen box, the Colonial Marines, like the Hadley's Hope Civilians, and some extra aliens. Yeah. I just figured, like, you know, xenomorphs and that sort of thing. There's going to be stuff you can always use. Yeah. Um, and gribbly alien monster. Yeah. Alien monsters. And, Something. you know, space civilians, again, always really useful. So I think I'll keep an eye out. If I see that deal, I'll pick it up again. And um, so chatting about models, again, while we're sort of talking about buying models and that, Greg on the Facebook group mentioned about looking into getting some of the Dark Age Irish warriors from War Games Atlantic and what we could sort of use those for. What, you know, would they be useful? What sort of games could be played for? You know, what did the models look like and that sort of a thing? Yeah. And, you know, I think he was sort of inspired a little bit by our, our chat about what, um, you know, these are really nice models. I want them sort of a thing mm-hmm. and so you know, I think we both recommended that he could play Doug Spitaliaron with them yeah which you know the starting armies for that are 36 models yeah so you know that one box of 40 of them gives you a full army out of the box ready to go and they, they sort of technically they're meant for sort of the fall of Rome until um, like really the end of the Viking era so, you, but I think you could realistically play with them earlier than that and later. Yeah, like I, th- I, I wouldn't, especially the clothed ones. I wouldn't think there'd be much. I don't think people would like have anything to say if you know some of them turned up as Irish mercenaries in War of the Roses. Yeah. For example, like that, um, and I don't think anybody would have any problems if they were, you know, pre-Roman. You know, they, they were smack bang in the middle of the Roman era. If you're playing with them, they'd be, they'd be perfect for using a hail Caesar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they're really nice models. You know, they're a really good value as well. You know, if, if you wanted to pick up, you know, they're. 25 quid, I think, for an army. War Games Atlantic. It's War Games Atlantic, isn't it? Yeah. They are just doing so many great boxes right now. Well, I think we might have talked about it before, but I, I think they have, have started. You know, as you've said, you know, you, you, you've now taken the plunge on Rubicon. You know, if Rubicon build a tank kit, they're the ones you get. Yeah. And I think War Games Atlantic, if they build an infantry kit, they're the ones that you get. I know I've got the. Um, Late war, World War One Germans, and they are fantastic. And I've also got the French Marquis Partisans, mm-hmm. which, and I'm going to mix them with the leftover bits from the Lizard Kit. The Lizard Kit. I'm going to mix them with the leftover bits from the World War One Germans to make some yeah. Volkstrom. Lovely. Um, Good idea. So that's. Uh, like potential purchases and sort of chatting talk. Yeah, they, they, they're really nice. They do. I think it's a really nice models. And if War Games Atlantic are listening, I want to send me and Tom some free boxes of models. <laughs> and please do. 
We will, of course, give honest reviews, but that shouldn't be a problem. I mean, yeah, they look really, really nice. And um, is this t- is it time for me to tell my Dukes Britannia Arm story, Tom? Yes, you can tell your Dukes Britannia Arm story. I decided that the smart thing to do for Dukes Britannia Arm was a small figure count to also use a small number of models. I worked out I could get, you know, 15 mil. I could buy both the armies for the price of one army. And there's a company called Splintered Light that do Dukes Britannia Arm starting forces in 15 mil but they are in america and they um denied about it and they took the plunge and they paid it and then that plus the cost of postage plus the import duty i had to pay on it when it came in meant that it cost me the same as buying the 28 mil <laughs> so i could have just bought them in 28 mil and um i didn't save any money at all and I haven't painted the models yet either, but um, I do have two 15 mil Dugs Britannia Arm Splintered Light um, starting. I was they look really nice; they're really great models. But I was like, that was not the point. I ended up costing me exactly the same as if I bought them in 28 mil. I could have used those 28 mil models in other games. But never mind, eh? You live, you learn. One of my um, plans for 2022 is to do something in 15 mil mm-hmm. because it's I, I've never done anything really in 15 mil apart from like the yeah. odd tiny thing and I'm really interested in some of the um, plastic soldier company ultracast yep. stuff so I'm thinking you know this year work on my backlog next year maybe get some of those make starter armies from plastic soldier companies because they re- they are you know 35 quid for your army 150 yeah. figures whatever that's all you need in the box away you go yeah i've got a couple of 15 mil i got my obviously my ducks tiny arm stuff and i've got um, french foreign legion and um, moroccan rebels to to fight out doing my bow jest um french foreign legion stuff and they're my two. I recently had a look at my projects, and they're the two oldest ones I've got to do. So they definitely need to be done this year. You've got to get those done ASAP. Maybe I'll try and get my um, 15 mil um, French Foreign Legion um, um, Tuareg guys painted by the time I um, I speak to you next episode, Tom. Who knows? Oh, we never Try. Well, um, should we take the jumping to hobby news? I've got some news for you if you want to hear it. Have you? Okay. I'll start with, I hope, I'm not going to steal your thunder, but TT Combat have started selling some awesome coloured sprays. I saw that. People sent very happy. Good. I mean, there's not much more to it than that, except they look really good. There's loads of colours. TT Combat, a troll trader. Um, they, do, they do cheap scenery, and now they're doing really cheap coloured sprays as well. And I'm always... A little bit like, oh, I've got to buy an undercoat. If I can buy a coloured undercoat, they've gone into this in a bit in armies, painting armies, but um, if you get the right coloured undercoat, it can save you so much time. But then you you don't have to go and spend like 15 quid on a coloured undercoat. It's like, if you can get it for six or seven pounds in TT Combat, then that is brilliant news. More money, please. That is a good thing to know. So uh, I've got a couple of bits of news, really. Um, number one is oh we were sort of talking 
earlier on about small scale divisional gaming. Mm-hmm. O Group by the Two Fat Largies is now available to purchase, oh. which is um, you know divisional gaming in World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, a lot of people uh, have got a lot of good things to say about it. Uh, I haven't purchased it because a I just bought Spearhead and. Uh, I really want to get into playing Chain of Command and some of the other Lardy games. Yeah. But I have, at the moment, I seem to have a bit of a mental block getting my head around some of their rules. Yeah. And I think once I've done, got my head around them, then I'll give it a better look. Because I think at the minute, if I was to buy it now, it would just sit on the shelf probably as something I haven't quite got my head around. And I, I just there's no point adding to that pile of rules I don't quite understand fully. Definitely. Um, and the second thing is a Kickstarter has launched, which uh, somebody again on the Facebook group brought to our attention, which is the Ragnarok Dark Dwarves. Mm-hmm. And these are really nice models. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talking about models that you just want and thinking they are cool Th- these are pretty nice um, in fact they're very nice models if I didn't have an Oathmark army already I would be getting an army of these I think they are that nice I mean, I love evil dwarves, as you know, Tom, as I have an, an army already of evil dwarves. I'm not sure I need two different armies of evil dwarves, but they are really nice looking models, aren't they? They are really nice, and I like that they aren't over-the-top evil. <laughs> no, I, I, I do really like them, but I simply can't justify... I definitely can't justify buying an army of them when I don't have any... It, it, they would be replacing something I've already got that I've just finished building and painting, which is daft. I think, like, the, the full army of them, I think, is 150 quid for, like, 100 and something of them. Yeah. So they are... We're not talking super, super expensive for you know, nice sculpted models, but nor are we talking, you know, 50 quid, this is an army sort of of them. So I'm thinking what I will probably do is I will see how it goes and I might just pick up a small character set or something of them just to have some of the characters for playing D&D and yeah. maybe to sprinkle in into a Frostgrave band. I might... Uh, I know they do like a small war band, which I think is about 40 quid, which I, I might stretch to. How many is in the small war band? 24, I think. Well, that's quite big. I would call that a big warband. I think like 10 to 12 is a small warband. The small warband, you get four command figures with a standard, four berserkers, four archers, eight with pole arms and shields, and eight with spears. Well, that's good because you could, you could take that, paint them up, and then you could mix and match and change them around for your warband in Frostgrave if you want to use different soldiers. If you're like, mm, today I want this kind of guy, I want archers today or whatever. Yeah, so and like I think is from. Yeah, and you know that's you know you've got some, you know, a hand weapon and a shield, just a two-handed weapon, archers, yeah. you know, 
I think you've got more than enough there to make a, a good Frostgrave Warband. So I think that is probably what I will go with for that. Good. When does that end? Uh, 7.50 a.m. on the 9th of April. There we go. Get on there, guys. Get those stretch goals hit. And it's it's already funded. It had a goal range of 3,000, and it's already at 11 grand. And they are on the Ragnarok White Metal 28mm Norse Fantasy Miniatures, sculpted by Colin Patton. Lovely. Not a paid plug, but they just look really nice models that I want in my house. Mm. So, do you have any other hobby news, Andy? <laughs> Say that in preparation for Stargrave coming up, I shared this on the Facebook page, and maybe you'd like to join the Facebook page at home, dear sweet listener. Um, Hobby support group on Facebook. Um, I shared it already that the Stargrave um, team roster for building your your crew is now available. So if you want, so people can start planning and start building their crews before the rulebook comes out. So when the rulebook comes out, you already know. You can go and build those models. You can equip them, and you can so you can be ready as soon as that rule book comes out. Start gaming. Nice. So, so I need to do that with my goats, my space goats, because I've got the models now, and I might have to put those fifteen mil French Foreign Legion on hold while I get my space goats sorted out. Um, but that's but that's my plan. I'm going to try and get that done in the in the coming coming couple next couple of days. Just start building, just get my kit bash on and get those plastic parts and just start constructing some space goats. I, I did see uh, some more pictures of the kit, the one of the boxes that's going to come out for the crew mm-hmm. for that from, I think it's North Star, and they look like they're going to be really nice models. Oh, I need to check that out, Tom. When they come out. Researching... Uh, the, the struggle is real, isn't it, Tom? There's so many nice models out there. Oh, it's it's uh, yes, it's it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? There's so, there's so many I mean, models. I, I've been doing this since I was like nine, which is uh, you know thirty odd years of, of um, and I should just, just should be easy maths. Thirty five years. There you go. Of looking at these models, and I look back at those ones in the eighties that I used to look at. They were terrible. They really were, but I loved them then. I loved those old models. And now you look at the model, and they are just incredibly detailed and amazing, like beyond the wildest dreams of my childhood. Um, no wonder I can't resist buying them. Well, it's, I think we are in a almost like a golden age, I think, of, of models at the moment. Um, it's actually getting to the point where I want to tell them, like, can you put less stuff on the models? I, I like a clean crisp like you know leave open panels so i can like do something on the shoulders or you know not everything has to have smoke and fire bubbling out of it all the time you know it's that kind of thing going on i wouldn't be surprised if before long there is a return to um you know sort of like a a more stripped back yeah aesthetic yeah there'll probably be like a retro hipster monopose Band of minis that will probably come out at some point, I assume. I love the idea of hipster monoposed 3D printed models. Chatting about this, I think, is, is a good segue into our, our main topic for today, which is going to be looking at, you know, building and painting an army 
or a project in one go. And yeah. it may, maybe just to sort of start that with actually buying the thing as well. I think, you know, last week we were sort of talking about the preparation you do before you buy yeah. it. You know, your research, looking around, what minis you like, what don't you want to. And then when it comes down to actually buying the thing, where do you get them from? Um, well, yeah, we talked a little bit about, you know, going and getting a starter set or eBay or the different options. A friend, maybe a friend has an old project they don't want anymore and they can just drop it on you and you then, then it becomes your problem. Right, Tom? Yes. Specifically among older gamers, I think there's probably like a big turnaround of projects between people who go, well, I bought this, never got around to it. Something new and shiny has come along that I want. Who wants to take this off of my hands? Um, I think that's definitely a, a thing. Um, I, I, this, is, this is kind of off topic, Tom, but I think it's a different point in people's life, and it's good to spot it if you can. When I was younger, I was just desperate to get any model at all. Like when I was a kid, I had no hardly such a, a, a dearth of that, so few models that any opportunity to get any model I'd take it on board. Someone offered me a model, like, yeah, I'll have that. It's a uh, War of the Roses Night. I, I'll have it. It can go with my space tank, and I'd just grab any model I could. And at some point, like 20 years in the future, I'm still like, when there's our models, Andy, yeah, 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 I'll take those. And you go and go like, it, there comes a point where you have to say, no, I don't need your free models because I have a box full of free models already. Please keep them. Yeah, I think that that's really true. And I know when I was a kid, it'd be I would go to the shop and I might have six quid and I would buy whatever model I could get with my six quid. You know, it'd be, if I really, if you know, I didn't have the willpower then, it still don't now. It's like, well, if I save till like you know next month when I might have nine quid and I can buy the Rhino I really want, when instead I would buy like you know a Chaplin on a bike or yeah. things that I didn't want, but I had enough money to buy. I haven't got any. Oh, I'll buy this orc character because he looks cool. And it's yeah. like, yeah. So you just have an, an utterly useless but eclectic collection that. You know, it's like, well, I, I, oh, I need a psyker for this. I mean, oh, I'll use a wizard. He just, yeah. he'll, he'll do. Um, so I just completely derailed the conversation there. So back to building armies. Back to building um, armies. It's important to remember that even if you're buying like a GW stuff, you're buying Warlord stuff, quite often the most expensive place you can buy it from is Warlord or GW. Yeah. Like, like most independent stockists. Like even if you've got a 10% discount code for the store, most independent stockists will still be cheaper. Yeah, normally 20%. Normally 20% off. And that, when you're buying an army, you know, it's, you know 20% is, you know, if you're buying 100 quid worth of models, it's 20 quid you're saving. Exactly. That's another, year, another box set, probably. Yeah, or, or it's the paint to paint the thing with. I did that with my, um, my Chaos Dwarfs, my Abyssal Dwarfs, and I bought them. I worked out that I by buying it from someone else, because the discount I got, I could buy a whole extra unit. Yeah. I thought that it makes sense to do it that way. I'm already getting the best value per model, and that because I'm buying the start this big starter army, mega army, and then I get extra twenty percent. And it's another. I can then I could have saved the money, I guess. But I was like, no, don't save it. Buy more dwarves. Yeah, and like sometimes I think all companies there are certain things that independent companies don't have like some companies have things which are exclusive they can only buy from them um like some other like quite often they make it like the smaller companies can order it in 
but then it's like it's a special ordering item and sometimes it can be like a bit funny to order in so it's like for example like with bolt action armies i buy 90 percent of my bolt action stuff through goblin gaming or through a friend who deals with both uh, warlord rubicon and all the other companies but some of the stuff i have to get direct from warlord themselves and to be honest it's not a problem i don't mind paying a a couple of quid more for you know this how it's or this weapon team when it literally is just a couple of quid for that one team yeah generally i use those kind of purchases to bang on when i'm pre-ordering a book or something like that to get the free postage yeah and it's it's things which i'm not in a rush for anyway generally with those kind of armies so that's that's how i how i purchased on it and i normally buy everything i need for an army now i buy before i start building it because that links into how i build and how i i approach the build for that army how about yourself andy do you buy it all before or piece at a time i mean I try to sort of have attempted to try and buy it all in one, try and buy it all of it first. I, I um, say my English civil, we haven't mentioned my English civil war. I mean, this episode yet, so let's bring up that was one like through sale. I just went, right, this is how much I want to spend. And I bought a whole load of it and then worked out how to use it. And with my abyssal dwarfs, I bought it all in one go. So I was like, well, I've got all I need here. There we go. Um, so it tends to be these days I will do one big purchase at the beginning so I know I've got a whole force. Um, like these Necrons for my son, I'm just because it's just a, it's just for fun really. It's not really I'm not building a, a particular army. I'm picking up bits here and there, here and there when I see a good deal, rather than you know, thinking okay I need to have this and I need to have that to make a legal army. It's just picking up bits and bobs that he, I think you think were cool. Um, so, yeah, these days it's more, yeah, I'll, I'll try and buy the whole thing in one go. If I can, I try and do a bit of planning about what I'm going to buy. But, um, yeah, I just try to buy it in one go. Yeah, I, I do the same. I think like, the, a good example is this War of the Roses Army. I'd worked out what I needed before I bought it. I realised I needed, like, an extra sprue of archers. Uh, the archers and billmen, so I like, like, bought the box of them and an extra sprue. Yeah. So I, I knew how I had sort of everything set before I started. And that allows me then when I get round to the building phase, which um, I then have like, I, I now build with an army list um, sort of already written, really. So I know what I want. Because I, for example, again, this War of the Roses stuff, I know, right, I need two units of archers, two units of billmen, unit of men in arms with two handed weapons. A unit of dismounted knights with like one-handed clubs and that sort of thing. So I knew when I then started building them, what weapons I needed to allocate to which unit, and then you can start working out. Right, I haven't got enough two-handed weapons for these men at arms. What weapons from the other sprues can I cannibalize and like kit bash into a two-handed weapon to make them yeah. work? And like. How can I spread out the amount of weapons I need? Oh, right. These come, this sprue's got two banner poles on it. I only need one, so I can use that arm on the another unit to like double the amount of stand. So every unit can now have a standard bearer. 
and yeah. you know flagpole and that sort of thing. It sums you fine in some. I talked about these orcs earlier. That there's like they're going to be a limiting factor in a sprue. So you might be like, right, I need to have um, four guys of hand weapons and shields. There's only three on each sprue. So you might have to think a bit clever about how you put them together to kind of stretch out certain parts to be able to, using just one box set, maybe make all the models you need. You know, maybe you want to have two BARs in your infantry squad for your Americans, and maybe there's only one on the sprue. So maybe you need to have a think about picking up from somewhere that part or, or another model with that weapon. Yeah, and um, also, like, I wanted to make the dismounted knights have as much look as similar to the mounted knights as I could. So I copied, I, I mixed the two kits together for heads, weapons, and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's six knights with lances, but there's another six with, you know, mauls and maces and that sort of a thing. And then there's six dismounted knights with maces and mauls, but they've got the mounted helmets on. Um, it's, it's that sort of thing. But, but by having it all together at the same time and being able to know, right, this is what I need to mix and match and, and go, it was much easier to sort of do that. And how I approach that and make sure I don't get lost is I build a unit at a time. And so, for example, like this one is 12 units, 12 men units. So I was building 12 men at a time by slipping off 12 bodies from the sprue getting all those cleaned up, putting them on a base, then going, right, I now need 12 right arms, 12 left arms, and a head. Yeah. And so going that and building those 12, going, right, they're now done. Right. They go to one side. Now get the next 12 out. Another 12 bodies. Another 12 heads. Another 12 left arms. Another 12 right arms. And you quite often find, I find, no matter what kit I'm building, you always end up with an uneven number of arms. It's like, I've got like, you know, it might be like with these at night, I had loads of wep- loads of the hand weapons were in the right hand, but there were very few. There wasn't enough empty left hands. Loads yeah. of left hands had things in as well, or they were like meant to be cupping something or that sort of thing. So it was like, especially in the archers and the billmen, well, there's a lot of like billmen holding just the bill in one hand, but the right arm wants to also, like, the left arm wants to like go around the chest to be grabbing the bills. So I ended up like using loads of the archer's arms holding a bow and then just like cutting the bow off. Yeah. And that's the like, yeah, you look at the hand, you can see that they're holding a big piece of wood in the hand that's just been cut off. But it's that sort of thing that. I don't think you can get round when you're building armies and you're needing loads of models. I know the Warlord um, games, um, plastics, there's loads of stuff in the right arm and then hardly any left. All the left hands are there trying to cup a rifle. Yeah. It's just like, if you're trying to be more interesting with one arm and the other arm, you have to like really think ahead. You have to plan because you're going to run out. Yeah. Um, And by having a plan of what you're working at and knowing what you need, you don't end up sacrificing something that you really need yeah. later on. And also like, you can like work out by building a unit at a time. It allows me the most chance to make sure, right, there are these six poses of model, the six poses of these torsos. How do I avoid having 
like three or four of the same torso in the same army at once. And you can, like, by working out how you're going to give them the arms and which heads and that sort of thing, you can make the exact same torsos and legs look quite different. Yeah. Because um, I think you, you have more choice to, like, differentiate things where you have the torso that glues onto legs. Yeah. Just turning that torso, like, left or right. But a, a lot of historical stuff um, that I've been building recently has legs and torsos molded in. And mm-hmm. so you just put in, you're just gluing on arms at the shoulders and yeah. a head. Yeah. So you, and, you know, they're quite often looking straight ahead. So you, you don't have that much wiggle room to like up, differentiate the poses, just the way they're doing their arms and head. But with, with some wiggle room, you can sort of do quite a lot of differences with that. And it's not like if you've got 100 of them to build, you're going to be cutting up all the torsos and turning them round. And, yeah. That sort of things, and also that would be such a, a monumental hobbying job, like green stuffing job, with so you know when they've got like pouches and bits of armor and that that are hanging down over their torsos, to like to chop them at the waist and then move them round a bit would be. I'll be like, I'll, I'll just be like, uh, this is just the way they are. Yeah, I'll, I'll just be like, I will accept this and move on and not yeah. spend time. If it was ten models, maybe I'd think about it. If it's a hundred models, then I would have already made that choice before I bought those models that I would try and find something different if I wasn't happy. Yeah, like this is how they're going to look. They are, you do not really get multi part kits for rank and file troops, I don't think really exist. Yeah. Because you need hundreds of them. And, you know, but also, likewise, if you had to build, you know, put on a hundred legs. Or go like, what angle does this knee go at, or what angle do I put this foot on? Like, I like my build. I like building models, but if it took me half an hour to build a pair of legs, I think I would be quite bored. Oh, by the time I built that whole army, because you know you're going to put the uh, the angle, the foot at a slightly funny angle, and go well, that looks cool. It's always the when you like, you're like, oh, I've actually made a terrible error. You like <laughs> do the shield on. You're like. Oh, I put his arm in the wrong place. Now the weapon can't go on. You're like, oh, what have I done? Or you put the waist on back to front and you go to put the legs on. You're like, uh, <laughs> his groins at his back for some reason. Or you spend ages doing like all these really cool dynamic poses and then try and rank them up. Yeah. And it's like, ah, these need to be on like 40 mil square bases on their own because they're, you know, <laughs> they're all sort of doing river dance while they're supposed to be in a shield wall. Um, it happens, but we learn. You live. You, I think that's it. You put the first one together. I'm the same. I will clip out the pieces and put them in little piles of arms, head, body, you know, weapon, whatever it might be. And then I'll go for and assemble them. Um, and when you put that first unit together, you learn a lot about how they fit together. Yeah. And you find out, oh, okay, I need to adjust it this way, especially in rank and flank. I'll put them on the bases and be like, before the arms have set. I will check that how well they go together because I know of my abyssal dwarves. I had to angle a few on their bases so they were because that was the last thing I did was actually glue them onto long strips of, of long bases. Was some had to be angled like one of them is is pretty much facing sideways. Yeah, like what I what I do is now especially mod but plastic models that come with the little foot on them so they stand up on their own. Yeah. I bit I build them. 
just on the little foot. I don't put them on a base until they're built. Yeah. And then, actually, what when the the unit's finished, I get the movement tray that they're going to be in, populate that with the bases. Yeah. And then glue them onto their bases in the movement tray. So I I know that like, right. This one needs to be right over to the left of the base. This one needs to be the right. Yeah. And then, like immediately, as soon as they're out of that base, I forget how they go. Yeah, just set an order. You have to put them in the tray, or they won't fit. No, yeah, I've got some to say. Don't worry. I think we all have that experience. But I, I, I do know, like, right, these guys. I try to have a system of like, right, these look like they should be on the left hand side. These look like they should be on the right hand side. These centre dudes are in the centre. So, yeah, it then just helps me to rank them back up quickly and easily. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a real good. I don't try and build the entire army in one go i do not sit down and go right this afternoon i'm building everything in the army no. I, I i like to build a thing and then um undercoat and then paint now i might do a lot of the army in one go i might build like all the infantry and then undercoat it or um, you know do the vehicles and undercoat those but I like to break it down to manageable chunks. So I think it's very easy to get burnt out if you try and do it all in one go. I mean, I basically painted that Blood Bowl team in two days. But that's 12 models. That's not 150 models. Yeah, what what I do is I, I do build... I build all in one go because I don't like... I, I'm sort of either or really when I'm in hobbying I'm either in building mode or I'm in painting mode Yeah. and, and when I'm building I sort of change my hobby space around so it's building stuff, get my building tools out that's sort of get it all up for building mm-hmm. get my models built and it might take me a week, it might take me two weeks but I don't try and build the whole army at once I build a unit at a time Yeah. I build that unit put it in a box build another unit, put it in the box when I've got the whole unit, and maybe I'll build like a unit of cavalry, then I'll build a unit of infantry, then I might build another unit of cavalry, then a character, some characters as well. So build it like that. Once they're all built, I then tidy away my building stuff, give the place a good hoover, then prime it. Yeah. Then once it's primed, I then view it as the building stage is finished. Yeah, you can then now. Then, depending on how I'm feeling, sometimes I then immediately start painting it, or sometimes I then build something else, yeah. or I pick I paint an older project first. I'm trying to get more into the habit of painting the thing I finished building. Then, when that's finished, paint something that I've already got primed before yeah. then building. So I'm trying to do like a two form. Yeah, I mean. If you- you were in my shame cupboard, you would say I have the biggest boxes, things yet to be assembled and painted, and then I have a box of things I've assembled, and then I have a box of things I have built and undercoated. Things that are just there, I can just grab and I can just start painting. Um, and just gives you an option, and because I think it's good to have projects, but it's good to have things you can just dive into and just pick up. Oh, well, I, I know when I sort of became really ill in the summer, and I couldn't do very much at all having boxes of stuff that i could easily grab that were primed and ready to go so all i had to do was like you know literally bring them to my desk sit here and I could, like i could have like i might feel 
well enough for 20 minutes of painting. That was brilliant. It was just having, you know, diving, didn't need to worry about priming them, didn't have any setup, clear up, anything like that. They were just ready to go. And, you know, it doesn't matter about the weather or anything like that. Having some stuff good to go, I think, is really useful. And, on, yeah. and, and then, like, you're not worrying about what undercoat or anything like that you've got. Um, and so I just also sort of say that, that I prime everything in um, the ideal world. Everything gets a first coat of primer in Halford's grey yeah. primer. At the minute, I can't get that. So I'm using from Sprayworks 151 grey primer, which is 95% as good and a third the price. Like the Halford's grey primer, I think it's only about six quid. This is like two quid. Um, like, I don't think there is. But I wouldn't mind paying more for the Halfords Grey Prime because I think it's it doesn't make sense to me to have like a hundred pounds worth of models and then scrimp on a couple of pounds on primer for them and using some tap that you've got down the corner shop rather than something that's actually going to hold paint properly. You're commenting on my terrible undercoat now, aren't you? I can tell. No, because some of the stuff you can get from the corner shops is, is really good quality. Is, is good quality if it works, but I think it's more important to have the right undercoat that works for you. Yeah, I go I go and buy the matte primers that because my corner shop has all different kinds of things, but it'd be gloss and all different kind of funky things. And I'm like, no, I just get the black and black, white, and grey primers from my local corner shop. Because what I like to do is I like to give everything a coat of the as I said the Halford's grey primer, and then from there, I then like base coat prime, generally with my airbrush in whatever is the predominant colour. Yeah. So if it's a vehicle, it's all the different Tamiya base colours. So it can be like olive drab, green bronze, you know, Dunkey Gilb yellow, Panzer Grey, whatever of those. But I, I, the, although they are technically primers, I like to put them on top of... The other primer. Yeah. Top of the other primer. And my infantry, I will quite often... Sp- I used to rattle can them in the base colour of whatever is the predominant colour of the uniform. So if they're like early war Germans, they get rattle canned in, you know, field grey. If they're Russians, they get rattle canned in Russian uniform. Yeah. And it just, then once I've rattle canned them with that, I then give them a second base coat of that with a brush in the same colour. And it's then, you know, it's, a couple of minutes and the majority of the uniform is done. Yeah. Yeah. I, if you, I think if you can get a rattle can in the color, the base color of your army, then you, yeah, that's a big help. That's, a, that's how I get through projects so quickly is because I can quite often is I, I've got done 90% of the work just spraying the first color on. That's it. So like if you're doing um, D- uh, DAC, Deutsche Afrika Corps, <laughs> getting that desert yellow, spraying it on, you know, that, that's a, that's a, a quick way to really get the base color down. Yeah, and it, it's not. I, I think this is. It's important. I think when you set out from painting something, or are you painting a model, or are you painting an army? And even if you're painting a tank, are you painting a tank to be part of an army, or are you going to spend a lot of time painting that yeah. tank? Because then, like, if you're just painting something to go in an army that you're going to play with, it's going to get chucked in a bag. It's going to get battered at games and yeah it's it's a it's a toy then you know spending a weekend on it is fine yeah if you're breaking out 
all the filters and the hyper detailing weather and you're spending you know, three weeks just weathering the tracks and then you look at it and it all falls off because you know it's super delicate and you've got to be careful with it that is not really a gaming piece it's a diorama piece to you know put in a bell jar and appreciate they are I think two different things I think if you had something that you'd spent that much time on and then you know you take it out and somebody knocks a, a pint of Guinness over it you're going to probably be quite miffed yeah and I think like you know Models get dropped on the floor, get knocked off tables, get beer and every other thing poured on them by mistake. You know, these things happen. You know, your bag gets kicked when you're on the train. So I think it's... I I approach things that are different. My scale model stuff, I put more effort in to than my gaming toys. I think you have to make that decision. You have to plan how you... Like, for my Abyssal of the Wolves, the plan was always... Even when when I chose Abyssal of the Wolves was that I could paint them quickly. I mean, they got sashes and armor, but I thought I'm going to do all the same color. I chose a dynamic. I chose that, that, that dark red with a, with a burnished kind of gold. And I was going to pick a few things out in green. Um, for their faces, I decided that I wasn't going to paint them as face. I was painting their faces as gold masks to save me time. Um, you know, I made lots of decisions that would enable me to paint that army quickly because it's always going to be, this is going to be my um, Oathmark and Kings of War army. I'm not going to labour over every model and take my time. I'm going to do this. This is going to be a really quickly done army that's going to look good. But it's, tab- it's definitely tabletop standard. If you pick the models up and look at their shoes, I have not painted their boots. Because you can't see their boots when they're standing in a rank, in, in, in a unit. You can't see them. So I'm not going to bother to paint them. Whereas I would, you know, I used to paint the backs of space marines bolt guns because i knew i would know that under the cloak you could see you know whatever you could see the band no one ever looked but i i knew i wanted to make sure they were done but this army i made that choice that it was going to be quickly done and um and just look tabletop standard but i think but they 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 look a consistent army that on the tabletop like i've only seen pictures but i'm sure on the table they will look great they will look look really good because there's there's Having that uniform colours, um, it works really well. Yeah, I think picking out your colours is one of the really and the really important thing to do. And what I do is, and you know, I, I I seem to collect paint. I've got a lot of paint. Don't we? But, but what I do is before I start a project, before I start painting a project, I pick out maybe ten to twenty colours at the most mm-hmm. that I'm going to use for that project. Yeah, and go. These are the and I have a tiny, a little separate paint rack yeah. that I use when I'm painting. But it's like these are the colours that I'm using for this army, and I use a wet palette. And like when, it, when painting my Oathmark stuff, like they were quite multicoloured because they're you know yeah. Vikings who like their bling. But it was like right, this dude's tunic, this colour can make this guy's trousers. Yeah, it can like this guy's trousers can be this guy's socks colour. And just like mixing up the fabrics and thinking like from a, a real world point of view, you think like, right, this society has got these dyes. These are the colour dyes that they're going to use. How do you like make someone look snazzy? So like quite in most of my armors do if someone's snazzy, they might have a purple cloak. Like you never get like an oink in a purple cloak. No. Really. Never. Um yeah. so that sort of thing. I'm making them and that also saves time, though, because it's like, right, I've got my wet palette. Here's, like, ten dots of paint. 
these are all the colours I need for this whole unit. Boom, 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 boom. I, I don't even have to bother cleaning the brush when I'm like going from like shoes to yeah. trousers to legs because it's the same colour. I'm just painting it in different parts of them. Yeah. And like what I've been doing with this War of the Roses stuff with the liveries, like you know, quite often they're halved liveries, but some of them I'm also giving the livery trousers as well. But they're not all in the half and half trousers. Like some have got like a a red leg and a black leg, and then like half the jerkin is red and half the jerkin is black. Some of them are just in black trousers. Some of them are just in red trousers. Some have got green trousers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just sort of like mixing it up but making sure that all the colours I'm using for the whole army are the same. Because, like, if I just were picking random colours off the paint rack, you know, like, well, why is that one guy who stands out because he's got orange trousers on and everyone, no one else has got blue trousers? Then you don't have to worry about what colour trousers is paying that other unit. Well, I did my partisan force. Um, I grabbed, like, ten different coloured paints and said these are going to be, like, the colours for that army so that... Yeah, I have different coloured trousers, but someone's hat would be. So everyone had different like hat, jumper, trousers, scarf, whatever. They'd all be different. I would randomly pick up, literally randomly pick up a paint and paint it that colour. But across the whole army, it's the same palette. Yeah, and when you're painting them a unit at a time, you you, you it's easy, you know, a quick glance makes sure. Oh, I haven't given three people red hats. Yeah, these aren't the red hat the, the red hat crew. Um, and I the these same are- when. You, the same as like when you're doing like hair and beards and that sort of stuff, like, yeah. You know, possibly inspired by you know a lot of the the armies I paint. I always seem to be painting like long hair and beards, and it's like, well, you know, how many shades of blonde and ginger beard can you you sort? Can you do how? What what is the uh, breakdown? If you're painting horses, apparently it's brown. Most of your horses should just be brown, chestnut horses. Apparently, statistically, one you should pick maybe one as a as a as a, a grey horse or something. Most horses are. Brown. I generally, I I've being from like my family are horse people. My dad's a blacksmith, so unfortunately, I spend probably far too much time on horses doing socks and fetlocks and all this sort of stuff. And none of nobody ever really notices it. But it's I tend to give for more, more modern like Napoleonic stuff and that area, earlier period, I try to give them matched horse, like matched colours. Mm-hmm. So like, these are all greys, these are all brown, these are all like dark chestnuts. And like my English Civil War, um, like I know the Dragoons were on like, uh, like the texts say, you know, they were on like the least desirable horses. So they're all like awful, like, wishy-washy skewbolds and piebolds and like yeah. blue and whites and that sort of thing um, and then like, quite often I like, will pop my commander on like a nice grey yeah. so that they look a bit different um, that bit on a, on a white but, but it takes so much more time It's you can paint a unit of 14 you can do you know, 18 with a rattle can like a dark chestnut in an afternoon yeah. or you can do 4 Coloreds in the same time. Yeah. Like, well, and actually, probably the chestnut squad will look better because they will look more like you expect a horse to look like. <laughs> Rather than going, these are really horrible looking horses because the design people look at them and go, ooh, I don't want that. <laughs> these are. Give it to a dragoon. 
Dragoon. That's not even where they have a remount. So yeah, I think I think you need to plan what what level of painting do you want to give the army, and choose a unifying colour scheme. Like this might his, be historically accurate. So if I'm doing Prussians, well, you know what, they had uniform colours, and if I want to do a particular regiment, then there are very definite colours that I, should, I need to paint them. Whereas you haven't got that same issue if you're going to do a fantastical space unit that you've made up yourself. But you should have a unity of colour. If that's how you want it to look, I think it looks best if you have a unity of colour across the whole the whole army. That's for sure. Well, definitely. And I think, maybe to round this conversation up, I think it's also important to pitch what do you want out of it. If you are somebody who doesn't like painting then you know you want to use as many techniques as you can really that gets you speed and effect you know so you think you know washes dry brushing that sort of thing things that are you know easier and and less time intensive techniques to go if you someone who enjoys painting then you might be doing you know more wet blending non-metallic metals all that sort of thing is to decide what you want to do and be yeah, I think it's really important. Like you look at YouTube and you you look at the, the photographs online. You think everything has to be, you know, this like golden demon, heavy metal standard of painting. And I think it's, it's I think probably does a big disservice to the whole community. When I would imagine for every model that you see painted of that quality, there's a hundred, if not a thousand, painted of a lesser. Yeah. And it's not even going to say a lesser quality. It's it's you know, not everybody out there is a professional artist. Yeah. And we, we can't all do freehand fresco work on stuff that we're doing. Like I I've I freehanded deliveries on one unit of the War of the Roses stuff, and it is literally three uh, lines at like a forty five degree angle, and that's as that is as close to freehand as I can get. I cannot paint. Every so often, every so often I, I think to myself, I go, oh, you know, I'm pretty good at painting. I should try some freehand. And to that point, I realise what I'm really doing is, is like 3D colouring in. And when I get to that, that freehand, last time I think it was, I'll, I'll, I'll paint some black flames on the legs of this orc. And I try and do it. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I can't freehand. It looks terrible. And I have to like repaint the leg. Yeah, like like painting flames and things like that. There are YouTube videos you can watch and there are tutorials you can follow that show you how to do it. And they're techniques that you can learn to do it. But they take time. Yeah. They take effort. And they are something that, you know, not everybody enjoys doing that. And I don't think, I really think it's important that people don't feel like they have to do that. You yeah. have, you don't have, there is no reason why you have to do like now if you're playing World War Two Germans, there is no reason why you have to paint P dot your army doesn't have to be in P dot camo. No. Like I, but I think mine will never be in P dot camo. Like technically P dot camo is really easy to paint. It just takes a very long time because yeah. you're just you know, you're literally using a cocktail stick and little dots of paint. But it takes half an hour to paint one dude's smock. Um, like I, I, I've done it and I enjoy doing it, but it's almost like an exercise. Going, I can do this, but it's because it is just dotting it with a stick. 
Yeah. It's it's not doing like you know, I'm never it's going worth, to paint nose art on anything. Time, is it worth your the cost of that time to you to spend that time? That's a decision only you can make. Yeah, and it's like, right, if I want like if I was paying a model aircraft and I wanted some nose art on it, I can't paint a pin up. If I want a pin up on there, use a decal. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel a little guilty that I'm not spending more time. I'm like, I should really be pushing myself. But then the other side, I'm like, I quite like, I, I'm like, I like to get things done and get things ready to play with. And I think if they look 90% of the way there, that's good enough for me. You know? Yeah. And also there is nothing, there's nothing at all to stop you. Like if you decide in the future, you know, I really wish I had painted my Abyssal Dwarf shoes. Something so we can painting the shoes is there they're still there and i tell you what tom i'm never going to go back and paint those shoes that's never <laughs> going to happen i'm never i'm never going to get that time where i'm like having been in lockdown for some time now i'm i can tell you that i am never going to be that bored to paint those abyssal dwarf shoes yeah, look, I, i've got a couple of armies that i wish i had painted a little bit better i think maybe my lrdg which was the first the first historic army i, I really painted and like, I wish I'd painted that better, but I think I'm more likely to sell that and repaint it, redo I, it yeah. again. I think it just makes me want to take more time on the next project. Yeah, do it. I've done this, I've played with it, I've used it. It's not as good, but you know, next time I'll do a better job. Yeah. And especially when you look at it as I do, and I'm sure you do as well, that I'm hopefully going to be building and painting models my entire life. Because yeah. it's what I enjoy doing. It is. It is. Then there are different things. That I'm sure at some point I might well go through a time where I go, do you know, I want to paint some Hundred Years War French knights and do decals on all the livery chevrons and everything and you know, go hog wild on the livery and make every knight, every French knight, an individual and know who he was. No, I, that sounds lovely to me. And also... I know it's not going to happen for a while. No, that's, that's when I've retired. Tom, there's so much to talk about on this subject. Um, I think we, we should really come back to it in the future. If you want to go on the Facebook page, Facebook group, uh, and let us know your thoughts and what things you'd like to hear us talk about, about building and storing and so on for, for armies, do let us know, because we want to make sure you hear what you want to hear on the podcast. We try our best, um, but I think we need to come back to this, Tom. Well, thank you very much, Andy. And I believe next episode we're going to be looking at transport and storage solutions. Sounds good, Tom. It's been a pleasure. I'll speak to you soon. I'll, hopefully I'll get on one of these um, space goats. So I have some news there for you soon, I hope. Well, I'll hopefully have the War of the Roses ready for Towton and maybe see where else we're from there. All the best, listeners, and speak to you soon. Cheers, guys. Talk to you soon. <laughs>